0: Good morning, church, how are we doing? Good, some of you are like, that's what he sounds like. It's like he's from Ireland? No way, I heard he came from Cardiff. Um, I did, but via, well, Ireland via Cardiff. So it's, it's so good to be with you this morning. Um, I just want to brag on my guys, didn't the worship team do really well this morning? Oh my goodness. Um, you know, I'm such a fan of collaboration I think our ceiling for what we can achieve as a family and as a community and as a team is so much higher than we could ever reach if it's just all built on one person. So I'm just, it fills my heart with so much joy to see Luke and Gina, see the guys just stepping out, stepping up. So I appreciate you guys. Amen. Cool. So what I want to talk about this morning, I'm going to set my timer. Those few minutes didn't count. So. What I want to talk to you about this morning is about how God is a God of the process. He's not just a God of the critical moments where he steps in and he saves. He's not just a God of the breakdown and then the breakthrough. He's a God of the process because we, we tend to define God by his saving power a lot. And, and whilst that's true, it's not the only thing that's true about him. It is not the only thing that's true about him. The fact is, we tend to define our faith by the really critical moments where God came through for us, the moments in the valley, the moments on the mountaintop. And whilst that is good and it is right, the reality is that we only live a very small fraction of our life in those places. Most of the time, we're somewhere between those two points. Amen? So what does it look like to embrace the God of the process, not just the God of the breakthrough? So that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Um, If you've got your Bibles with you, either open them or switch them on, whatever's appropriate. And uh, turn to uh, 1 John chapter 5, and we're going from verse 13. Um, So it's not going to come up on the screen, but I will read it. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that what we have, sorry, we know that we have what we've asked of him. Jump down to verse 18 and it says, and we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. But we also know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and he is eternal life. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray as we as we uh, we examine it today and as we unpack it. I pray that you would bring fresh revelation in our midst. That you would reveal new things to us. And Lord, I pray that you would speak through me today. In Jesus' name. Yeah. Amen. So this book of First John, First and Second John, they're letters from the Apostle John, the same John that is with the disciples, with Jesus during the Gospels. It's thought that he's rather late on in his life, with some sort of maybe 50, 60 years after the life and times of Jesus, and he's in the last few years of his life. Now, we don't know exactly to whom this, ch- this letter is for, but we know that it's thought to be in or around churches around Asia, around Ephesus, that this um, letter was written for and the reason that John is writing this letter is that in the church at the time these people had taken their eyes off the prize they'd taken their eyes off Jesus they'd become distracted by some of the influences of other theologies and other religions that were around at the time and had gotten to a place where they forgot that Jesus was enough for them they started looking for something more they thought all spirit was good and all flesh was bad. And it wasn't our acts or our deeds that defined us, but the very fact that we were human meant we were evil. So they received some things over their life that just weren't, through, weren't true, and they distorted their view of God in the process. So why am I telling you this? I think there's a difference between the things sometimes that we know to be true, because we've seen them in action, Or the things that we know to be true just because we've we've chosen to believe them. So if you look through these scriptures, there's a lot of things that says we know, we know, we know, we know. And I don't know about you, but when I first read through them and as I read through them, there's a couple of them that I go, I know that. I've seen that to be true. Amen. And then there's some other things I see and I go, well, I believe you, Lord. (laughs) It's like, I I believe you. Uh, You know, I I choose to believe that that's true. So, you know, if you look through the scriptures again, it says, you know, uh, he has come that he may know us and that we may have eternal life. And it's like, amen. And anything we ask according to his will, he gives us. And it's like, amen. And then it's like, and anyone who is born of God does not sin anymore. And it's like, ah, amen. <laughs> just me. Is that just me? But I, I think, so there's a difference sometimes between the things that we have accepted to be true and the things that we've seen to be true. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, I think so. So, There are some differences. Um, So why I think this is important is is we're on a a process throughout our lives of of being more free from sin than we were when we started. And and actually, we need to to discover how it is to seek freedom from sin in the ways that it's talking about here. So what we need to do in order to do that is we need to see that God is a God of the process. He's not just a God of salvation, but he's a God of transformation. He's a God of transformation. He, we don't just define God. God is not limited to the moments where he saves us. God, is, God actually, his heart is to be with us in every part of the process. Every single day, every moment, every breath, God wants to be with us. He wants to abide in us. You know that scripture just says, I will abide in you, you abide in me? Yes. Abiding. He wants to be fully with us and in us at all times. Um, so Jesus didn't only come so that we would be saved. He said it himself. He said, I have come that they might have life and life in abundance. So what we're talking about here is fullness. How do we secure, how do we achieve, how do we discover fullness of life? I think in order to grasp the fullness, we need to first grasp hold of the process. The process of allowing God to work on us throughout our lives. We need to embrace not just the God of salvation, but the God of transformation. The God of the journey, the details, the process, the day-to-day, the God that is with us in all things. I'm going to tell you a couple of little stories about me. I was, qu- I was quite an interesting child. Um, my parents, as I was growing up, tell me all these stories of things I did. Now, I don't remember them, but you know when somebody tells you a story enough times that you're like, I think I remember that now. Um, so I must have been about two, two and a half. I hadn't been, I was walking confidently, but, you know, I was still quite young. And they told me a story that one day I was walking along the beach with my uncle And apparently, just out of nowhere, I took an ocean and I ran straight into the sea. Um, And straight down the dip, under the water, life at risk kind of stuff. Um, And what happened in that moment is my uncle, he waded into the sea and he grabbed me by my hood and he pulled me back. He saved me. He stepped in and he saved me. Now, that was a moment where I learned that when when the chips were down, when I was in trouble, my uncle, he was going to save me. He was going to step in. He was going to rescue me. Praise the Lord. Um, But you know something? In that moment... That's not how I learned how to swim. It's good. Do you know what I mean? That's not where I learned how to swim. In the moment where I was drowning and I got saved, that's not how I learned how to swim. It took a process for me to learn how to swim. Outside of the salvation, outside of the critical moment, away from the mountaintop, away from the valley, I needed to go to swimming lessons, learn how to swim. It was a process. And um, they tell me another story. Well, actually, I remember this one. And um, my dad used to be a football coach. And uh, he used to train like men's teams and I was about four, five, six. And I remember one particular time in, in the middle of a game, I like, ran right out onto the pitch. He was like, Dad! <laughs> and, uh, and, and he, I just remember him like grabbing me and taking me aside and just stay there. And, <laughs> and I didn't know why. I knew that I wasn't supposed to be on the pitch anymore. I knew that. But I didn't know why. I knew what my dad's reaction would be if I went onto the pitch again. But actually, in order for me to learn the reason why, um, he actually took me aside later and went, look, the reason why you can't be on the pitch is these guys are like six foot tall, and they're kicking the ball really hard, and if that hits you, you're going to get really hurt. So actually, it took a process for me to understand his actions, his heart. In, in, In the moments of breakthrough and breakdown, in the moments where God steps in and saves, we learn what he does. But in the process, we learn why he does it. And we need to learn both. Cool. Let's talk about sin. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Okay, so verse 18 says, we know that anyone born of, of God does not continue to sin. Now, when I read this verse for the first time as a young believer, I was like, So, hang on, does that mean if I sin, so I'm not born of God? What does this even mean? So, hang on, the only way I can be born of God is if I never sin again. If I sin, I lose my salvation. Oh, gosh, I'm ruined. It's like I thought I was going to lose my salvation as quick as I found it. Um, But I just want to clarify some things. It says we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. An important clarification is the word is not saying that if we sin, we are not saved. That's what the word is not saying. Nor is it saying that salvation means that we will automatically never sin again. But what it is saying is, this is the standard. It's a challenge to us. It's saying, the Bible often acts as a mirror for comparison, and it goes, this is the standard, how are you doing? And you're kind of like, well, I'm working on it. But, so what I want you to take away is, is, You can be convicted by this, you can be challenged by this. It could and should prompt you into reaction, but don't allow this scripture to condemn you because God didn't condemn you. God had an opportunity to condemn you and he chose the other option. God chose to send his son so that you would not be condemned, so that you would be set free, so that you would be saved, so that you would have life in abundance. So don't read this scripture as God condemning you because it's just not what it is. But it is the standard. Now, I looked into, I got all ambitious and looked into the Greek root word for where it says, we know. And I thought, let's see what it says. This could be dangerous. Um, but I looked into it, and it's a, word, it's a Greek word called, it's either pronounced idos or idos. And it means we know. And every time you see we know, we know, we know throughout the scriptures, it's using this word. And it does mean we know, but it means we know because we perceive We have seen, and therefore we know. So I thought about that. I thought, what does that mean? What's the significance of that? It's the fact is that John is not saying, we know that anyone is born of God, does not sin anymore. It's not just a concept to him. He knows because he has perceived, and he has seen it walked out and in action. So actually he's saying, it can be done. I've seen it. I've seen the freeing, transforming, redeeming power of God at work in people's lives. We know that people who are born of God sin no more because I've seen people walk away from sin and walk in freedom. So we need to commit to the process of seeing that outworked in our lives. And actually, John, Father John, at the end of his life, he's trying to encourage a church to say, Hey, you can do it. I believe in you. You can do it. Okay. So there's a couple of perceptions, I think, that we need to look at. They cause us sometimes to stay rooted in sin when we don't need to. Actually, this, this is more, it's less about do we sin on individual occasions and have moments where we sin, because we all do that. I mean, we try to do it as little as possible, but we all do. I mean, has anybody tried to get around the Christmas market at the moment? In, this isn't Cardiff, I've left Cardiff, Birmingham. Um, like, I don't know about you, but there's nothing that frustrates me more than when people are just, like, walking slowly in front of me. I'm like a walker, you know? I'm like, get me where I'm going to go. And then I just see people, like, in front of me just kind of like. And I'm like. Ah! It's like, actually, some of the, th- I'm glad people aren't inside my head when those things happen, particularly people that know I work for a church. And but actually, if, if that was all it took to lose my salvation, there wouldn't be much hope for any of us, would there? Because we all are human, and we all, we all suffer from these little moments. But actually, it's less about, so it's less about individual moments of sin, because yes, we want to eradicate those, but they will happen. Um, Actually, it's more about our attitudes to sin. Is there areas of ongoing sin in our lives? Is there big areas that we need to address, that we need to walk away from, that we have been given freedom from and the strength to overcome, but we don't because maybe we don't perceive things in the right way. So I think there's some perceptions that I want to challenge this morning. I think one of the main reasons why people stay living in sin in in certain areas and in certain ways is they actually have a distorted view of salvation in the first place. Um, we need to accept that our moment of salvation, the moment that we give our lives to God, is not the finish line, folks. It's the, it's the start line. It's the starter's gun. God, salvation is the first thing God does. It's not the last thing he does. Salvation is the start of the journey. It's a process The word says he who began a good work in me is faithful to complete it. And to me that speaks to a God that will throughout our lives continue to work on us, continue to make us more holy if we let him. But actually we need to be careful that we don't just see God as a God who saves and we don't see faith about whether we're saved or not solely. Because actually it's about so much more than that. It's it's both and as opposed to that in isolation. Um, So if we only ever see God as a God who saves, a God whose only involvement in our lives is the breakdown and the breakthrough in the valley and in the mountaintop, I think we get a very limited view of God. Because as we said earlier, we spend most of our lives somewhere in between. And if we limit God in terms of our perceptions, we limit our understanding of God, we limit our knowledge and our ability to get to know Him, we miss the fullness because we've excluded the process. We miss the fullness of God that's on offer for us all whether you've been in the church 30 40 50 years or this is your first day in church you need to know that the fullness of God and the fullness of life that God brings that's available to you but we need to allow him to enter into every area of our lives if we only define him as a god who saves then we exclude the process and we miss the fullness One of the other reasons that we sometimes miss it is that we allow sin and what we see as our sinful nature to have more say into our identity than it ever should have done. And what I mean by that is there's a scripture that says, you know, the human heart is deceitful above all things. And we we look at that and we go, that's true. And and, And we raise it as a banner over our life when that's not something God ever did. You know, God's banner that he raised over our life was one of love and grace and salvation and sanctification, a a, a banner of second chances, a banner of redemption and restoration. But we sometimes take the bad thing that the word says about us and we go, that, that's me, that's, yeah, deceitful heart. Now, I'm not saying that scripture is not true. I think it is true. But I think it's about perception. I think that scripture is true. I think our heart is deceitful when we first meet Jesus. But I don't think it's God's desire for us to stay that way. We've got a scripture that says that human heart is deceitful above all things. Well, we've also got a lot of scriptures that talk about transformation. There's a scripture that says, and we all, with unveiled faces, with unveiled faces, can behold the beauty of God. And that we can be transformed from one degree of glory to another into his glorious image through the Holy Spirit, who is Christ Jesus. Church, we've got to say amen to that. Yeah. What's going on here? We can be transformed. That's transformed. I nearly got transformed from the stairs to the floor there. <laughs> but praise God for his grace. See, he's a God who saves. <laughs> um, and it's, we, we, need to, we need to get to a place where we accept that when God created us, what he said was true. When he reached down into the dirt, when he picked up some earth and he made Adam and he breathed breath into his nostrils and he turned to the Holy Spirit and he turned to Jesus and he said, hey, these are going to be like us. We need to realize that he was not just talking about our appearance. He was talking about our character and our hearts. We will be like him. We need to dare to believe that, folks. We need to dare to believe that. We need to be bold. So many of us, we say, no, I'm just a sinner. That's all I'll ever be. I, my heart is deceitful. It is an idol factory. It will never be anything more than that. Thank goodness for the grace of God that covers me. And I'm just going to hide until heaven. Amen. But we <laughs> and we think that we'll somehow wake up in heaven one day and be a saint. But no, the process starts now. The process started years ago. When did you give your life to Jesus? That's when it started and it continues, but it can only work, and it can only be outworked in our lives if we allow God in. We need to allow God in. Let's not make an idol of our own sinfulness. Don't idolize our own sinfulness. Don't choose to believe a truth about yourself that is nothing but a deception from the enemy that he puts in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives to limit the way that God can work, to limit the way that we're supposed to live in our purpose. Practical tips for this. Take some time this week and just examine your heart with God. Say, Lord, would you renew my mind? Would you make sure that my thoughts about sin, my thoughts about myself, my identity, my potential, my purpose, would you make it so that my thoughts are like your thoughts and I'm aligned with your will? Let me not limit your ability To work in my life. Because I'm choosing to believe something you never said. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. Moving on quickly. Transformation. We've talked about transformation. It can only come from intimacy. So verse 20 says. "We, We know also that the son of God has come. And has given us understanding. So that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. By being in his son Jesus. When Elijah was in the wilderness and he was fleeing for his life after all of the other prophets had been killed and he was literally fighting for his life you know he didn't get a breakthrough in that moment God came through with a process God didn't come through and go boom done saved redeemed God gave him a process you know what? the first thing God said to Elijah was after he escaped to the wilderness eat how many people are like amen (laughs) amen I'm like Lord I will do this for you Uh. (laughs) and then he had some more rest and he said he woke him up again and he said eat it was a process that needed to happen before the breakthrough could come then he said come outside the cave because the Lord is going to pass by and then he stepped out of the cave we all know the story there was an earthquake there was a rushing wind there was a tower and column of fire but the Lord was not in any of those things there was a whisper and that's where the Lord's voice was the reason that he was in the whisper and not in the earthquake, not in the fire, not in the wind, is because God desires intimacy. In order to, to, to hear God's voice, Elijah needed to draw near. Elijah needed to embrace the process to get the fullness. Yeah, it's good. And you know, I believe actually that, because the enemy seeks to deceive us at all times, I believe that whilst that fire was going on and that earthquake and that, whatever the other one was, it's, <laughs> the enemy was speaking, I believe, I believe the enemy would have been speaking a lot of things to Elijah at that point. I can't point you to a scripture that says that, but I, what I know about the enemy from my experience is that he probably was trying to sow some deception there. He was trying to deceive, lead astray. But you know, how, do you know how Elijah knew it was the enemy? Because it was different than the voice he normally heard. And he was so familiar with the voice of God because he had committed to a process. He had caught a glimpse of the fullness He knew God's voice. So he didn't need to worry about how he recognized the enemy. He just needed to go, that's different than what I normally hear. If if you want to worry about, hey, how do I know if this is the enemy or this is God? I'm telling you, press into God, know his voice, get to know it, and you'll know the enemy just by distinction. It'll sound a lot different, and it won't bring life, it'll bring death. So yeah, he was given a process. Realize time is ticking on. I'm don't have time to tell you the full story of this today, but actually, how I got saved, God saved me in quite a radical circumstance. I actually was living in Japan, uh, teaching English, (laughs) Um, and there was a tsunami and an earthquake and a nuclear disaster all in one day, and I thought, as you do, Um, no. So it was a really, really scary time, like honestly, 35, 38,000 people died. Um, my town was not hit by the tsunami but was only very kind of nearly missed and I wasn't saved at that point but I was prompted I guess I would say in my spirit now to pray to God and I begged God to keep me safe and to stop any more of these things from happening and just to, to redeem the situation I was like God if you're real do this please and I begged with him and actually Long story short, God saved me. He got me home safe. And that was a year later I gave my life to Him. But that was the beginning of the journey. That was the moment that I found out about God's saving power, about God's interceding power, about His restoration, about His redemption, about all these incredible things that we sing about. I knew this to be true because I'd seen it outworked in my life. But honestly, folks, we worship here every Sunday together. I want to be completely honest and be totally vulnerable here and say, that's not why I worship anymore. The impact and the process, it will always be one of, this this impact, this moment where he stepped in and he saved, it will always be one of the many reasons for which I praise God, but it's not consciously why I worship him anymore. The reason that I worship him on Sunday, the reason that I love him so much, just to be completely honest, is because I've discovered that who he is is so much more than, like he's done amazing things for me, but who he is is so much more than what he's done Who he is is so much more than what he's done. And he's done incredible things. He's done amazing things. He's done life-changing, game-changing things that you could look at and go, that can only be God. That is amazing. But it says so much more about how much the presence of God, the person of God, the process of God is even more rich, is even more full, is even more incredible. That actually it pales in comparison. I don't define my faith by how I got saved. I define my faith by everything that God has done since. I define my faith in how he helps me to love him on a day-to-day basis. The reason I worship God here is because he's helped me to worship him at home. He's helped me to worship him at home. I embraced the process, which meant I caught a glimpse of the fullness. He's a God of the process, he's a God of the quiet place, he's a God of the day-to-day, and we need to learn what it is to seek him on a daily basis and pursue that intimacy. Quick practical tip that really helped me. How many people like live out of your diary, like your calendar app on your phone? Is that, is that just me? Anyone else? Yeah, me? Honestly, I, if anybody ever takes the diary app off my phone, I wouldn't even know what I was doing today. Like, I, I only know that it's Sunday because I'm in church and I'm speaking to you now. Like, it's, I live completely from the diary on my phone. If you ever, if you ever sounded, like, spoke to me and said, hey, Kev, do you want to go for a coffee? And you see like, the whites of my eyes widen in terror. It's because I've not got my phone with me. People are like, what are you doing this evening? And I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I do not know. So one of the best things that really helped me was when it came to, I found that in the busyness of life, I was just always fighting and often losing. The battle to have discipline, to seek God, to have God time, to pray, to worship him, all of this stuff, Monday to Saturday, I found it was difficult, I couldn't find the time. Then somebody said to me, hey, make an appointment with him. I was, what? Make an appointment with him. So this is one of the practical things I do, it's the only way that I'll have the discipline to do it. I actually go into my phone, at the beginning of the week, and before anything else goes into my diary, I go, okay, Tuesday morning, 8 o'clock, God time. Ooh, I'm busy Wednesday. We're going to have to do that in the evening. Okay, God time. And actually, you'll find that it's a lot more difficult to delete that out of your phone and not do it than it is to move around the notion that you'll spend some time with God at some point. So I would say, encourage you, if you struggle with that discipline of coming to God and embracing the process practically, make an appointment and stick to it. Because if you cancel on them, you have to tell them why. <laughs> you have to tell them why. Do you ever, man, do you ever make, a, ever make plans with anyone? And then you're like, oh, I really don't want to do this. What am I going to say? <laughs> now, hopefully that won't happen with God. But isn't it the best feeling in the world when you're like, I just can't be, I really, I'm not in the mood tonight. And somebody texts you, you go, hey, I can't do tonight. You're like, oh, on the way. <laughs> it's, yeah, maybe just me. Segway. Don't cancel on God. You'll have to tell him why. It's a really good motivator to, uh, to make sure that you seek him. Okay, we're coming into land here. What am I trying to say to you? Above all else, what am I trying to say to you? We're talking about a God not just of salvation, but of transformation. and A God of intimacy. A God of intimacy. But before we can see any of this outworked in our lives, we first need to choose to accept God as a God of sufficiency. Which is a really complicated way of saying, we first need to decide, Jesus, you are enough for me. And you take priority over everything else. If everything else in my life falls away, fades away, turns to dust in my hands, you are enough. You are all I could ever need. John is writing to a church who have wholly and completely forgotten that Jesus is supposed to be enough for him. They've lost sight of the process. Their relationship has become transactional. And as a result, they've lost sight of the fullness. And God is just somebody they can get something from when it suits. In their limited view of him, they limited their understanding. They lost sight of the fullness of who Jesus is. They lost the process. John is in the last few years of his life and he is not messing around. He's saying, Beloved, I walked with him. I walked with him. If you'd only walked with him, if you'd only laid your head on his chest, if you'd only looked into his eyes, if you'd only been with him, you would never even consider the notion that he is less than enough for you. Now, we can't meet Jesus in the flesh currently yet, soon, but yet. But we can spend time with him. We can press in to intimacy. Beloved, don't lose sight of who Jesus is. He is enough. He is more than enough. He didn't just come to save us. He came to forever change us. He didn't just come to save us. He came to forever change us there's a process that we need to grasp hold of if we wish to access the fullness of who God is. Let's get our hearts right before him today. Let's commit to the process. Let's commit to the journey. Let's commit to the fullness. Over the next few weeks, over Christmas, we're gonna be talking about how God is with us and what that means about how God came to be with us. Honestly, guys, The only way that we get to discover the fullness of how God is with us is if we choose to be with him. God of transformation, God of intimacy, God of sufficiency, commit to the process and fix your eyes on the fullness of who he is. Worship team, would you like to come back please? I've always wanted to say that. Um, Guys, would you like to stand with us? We're going to just spend some time, just before we go our separate ways today, we're going to just spend some time just beginning the process of fixing our eyes on God afresh. Play some keyboards, make it sound spiritual. I'm going to just pray... I'm going to just pray, and please just agree with me in your hearts as we as we go. Why not just put your hands, like you. and just as a, as a sign that you're willing to receive all that God wishes to impart in this moment, Lord Jesus? Would you forgive us if we've ever gotten distracted from you, so distracted that we forget that you are the most important thing in our lives? God I am sorry if I've limited you by my understanding if I've limited you by my perceptions if I've chosen to see you as less than who you are if I've shut you out of any area of my life God I'm sorry and God I welcome you in again in this moment I welcome you in and I say please would you look on me again O Lord would you look again On me again. Like Samson, we cry out, Would you look on me again, O Lord? We fix our eyes upon Jesus. We look full in his glorious face. And the things of earth, they grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Lord, we want to be near you. We want to be next to you. We want to know you deeply. Would you align our heart with yours? Would you help us to discover the fullness of the God of transformation, the God of intimacy, the God of sufficiency. I thank you so much that you're on this journey with us. Thank you that you're with us in every moment. You're with us in every breath. There has not been a moment of our lives that you've abandoned us, God. You've never forsaken us and you will not start now. So God, as we recommit, as we look to you, we ask for your wisdom, we ask for your mercy thank you that you are faithful to give us everything that we need. Thank you for not just what you've done but for who you are. Help us to embrace the process and fix our eyes on the fullness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together, shall we?